Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today.
optimism in the land that we face is hard to come And I admit that at times I cry out with Paul, 1 Corinthians 16, Maranatha, which means the Lord come, or really come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. And it's not only that this world needs prayer, but the church always needs prayer. There are always some in the church that are struggling. There are some this morning that are struggling. Sin, as the book of Genesis says, is always crouching at the door. Lambs are to be prayed for. The truth is, if we kept up prayer meetings 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, we would never run out of requests. Is there ever a day when there are not those who are sick among us? Is there ever a day when there are not those who we are seeking salvation for, family and friends? Is there ever a day when someone doesn't have a burden or a heartache? Is there ever a day when there is crimeless, not crimeless world or immorality? In a world with millions of people dead in trespasses and sins, we need to be praying. We are immersed in a left lurching country, which is the darkness of socialism and wokeism is spreading like a terrible in a world where false teaching, Bible teaching, and fake news is ever increasing. Prayer, then, is indisputably our greatest and, I might say, our most underutilized weapon. Jesus knew that. And so he said, gentlemen, I'm going to tell you a story. And I want you to listen closely to this story. This is a lady who was very, very needy. She was in a bad way, like our country is. She was in a bad way, like we often are. And yet, she did her part, and God came through. And so this morning, we are going to talk about the spirit of prayer, three key essentials to the spirit of prayer. A nice father took his six-year-old boy fishing with him one day. He put out the line and went to the cabin. After about an hour, they went back down to the river to see if they'd come. Several fish were on the line. The little boy said to his dad, Dad, I knew there would be. He said, Well, how did you know that? He said, Well, because I prayed about it. Well, good. So they made up the hooks again and went down, put the lines in the water, went back for supper, decided to go back, go back to the river, and again, fish on the line. The little boy said, I knew it, Dad. How did you know? Because I prayed about it. So again, one more time, they put Hooks there in the water went down. Just before bedtime, they came back. But this time, no fish. The little guy looked at his dad and he said, I knew there wouldn't be. His dad said, Well, how did you know there wouldn't be? He said, Well, because I didn't pray this time. He said, Well, why didn't you pray for fish this time? He said, Well, because I remember we forgot to bait the hooks. <laughs> You know, the truth is, we need to do our part of baiting the hooks. And then we can have faith in God and hit the fish. So this morning, that's our story. Let's ask God to bring home the fish and we'll do our part. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you that you're a God who cares about everything. The little boy has fish, the lady and her needs, and us, each one of us. Lord, young Lord, Father, meet with us today. 
second gospel, the book of Luke is a book of biographies. It's been called the people's book. Much of the material is unique to Luke's gospel. It involves Jesus' interactions with individuals, many of them who were on the fringes of a society that thought they were all that. So let's uh, join together joyously in reading publicly God's Word. Right, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 with the bookends, verse 1 and verse 8 being the key verses in the story being in between. Right, let's read it. Ready to begin. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men are always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will answer. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own life, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And so this is our sixth message in this series. Where have we been? I think a little bit of review set these truths in our mind. In the first message, we talked about the motivation for prayer. Why should we pray? I mean, really, we just come down to it. Does it really matter? And the answer is yes. We pray because it really does work. God says you don't have anything because you don't ask, or if you do ask, you're really consumed upon your lust. In the second message, the power of Praying must be energized by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer, that's just one word in the Greek language, and the energeo, meaning spirit-energized prayer avails much when it's done by someone who is a righteous person or born again. When we are spirit-filled based on the Word of God, God can bless that in a great way. Then, the third message, requisite for prayer. If and when we are committed to obey everything God says, that's called the will of God. If we do the will of God, the Bible says, and we do His commandments, then we know that He hears us. And then we talk about the authority of prayer. Many people don't come to God with authority and it's kind of a, well, whatever. But it says that we come in the name of Jesus and for God's glory, will get an answer. The name of Jesus is a saving name. And so if the request we're asking ultimately can be used for the salvation of souls someday, and if what we're asking for would be God's glory, then God says we have authority, we can sign, he will honor the check that we have offered to him, the bank of heaven. And then the fifth thing we talked about, and that was last week, talked about the faith for prayer. We sometimes uh, say, prayer can move mountains. And while that's true, it's better to say, 
is prayer that moves God. But we won't pray to God if we don't have faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we just immerse ourselves in the Word of God day in, day out. And then stand on the Word. We have the Logos, and then we get a Lama. We just stand on a specific Word. Then we have faith, and faith moves God, and God moves mountains. On today, the Spirit of Prayer. Now, fortunately, in this wonderful parable, this story, God left the key right up to the front path. And so, if you've ever gone to a house and you reach into that path, there it is, the key. And so the key is verse 1 to this great house of truth. Verse 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end. He already up front is telling us what the purpose is. People ought to always pray, keep asking, keep praying, and never lose hope. So often we stop praying. Too many of us say, God, I've been praying for 10 minutes and you haven't answered my prayer. Well, but at times it's more than that. We pray for hours or days or weeks, maybe even months. We're trying to keep the faith. We're trying to stay faithful. We're trying to believe. Our resolve is waning. And some here have been praying for something for years. And there are a few of you who may have been praying for something for decades. And it is easy to lose hope. It's to the point where you're just like, you know what, I believe, I don't know, if I can keep praying this anymore, I've lost hope. And that's why we must connect verse 8. Because Jesus said very clearly, I will avenge them. I'm going to take care of business. I'm going to come and take care of what needs to be done in this world. When I come, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, and that's not an if, that's a when. He is coming. And when he does, will he find us still praying? Or are we going to be those that just give up and say, oh, what's the use? Prayer doesn't do anything. Jesus said, between now and the second coming, they, our job is to just keep praying and never lose hope. Never lose hope. That's called a spirit of prayer. Will he find faith, it says, or maybe it could say, will he find faithful people? Will he find persistent, praying, believing, children of God? Will he find his followers who, without ceasing constantly, are in a spirit of prayer. In fact, he said, people who pray like that are so rare. Notice the phrasing of the verse. Will he even find it? Will he even find anybody who is praying when he comes again? Are we a type that's going to give up after a few days or a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years? That's tough to keep praying for something for that long. But can we keep praying until Jesus comes? Notice it says, verse number one, that God brings a parable to us. Now this verse, and this passage, has, in my opinion, been misunderstood often. Probably not uh, intentionally, but I think many times it's been misunderstood. I think I myself have misunderstood. We look at this and we realize that he's telling a story 
and he's wanting us to compare this. The word parable is a word that comes from two Greek words, para, which is a word that means beside, and balo, which means to throw or to place. Actually, we actually get our word ball from that, as you might imagine. So actually what a parable then is, it is a truth placed beside a story to give us perspective. Now there are two ways to look at this parable. It is a parable by comparison, or it is a parable by contrast. I think all too often we have looked at this parable as though God is saying, Keep asking, keep going, keep going, and God is so hard, and, and, and uh, maybe he'll twist his arm enough and test for him enough, and maybe, maybe if you're nice enough and if you're good enough and all the things fall in the line, he'll answer your prayer. And if that's your thinking, my opinion is on this verse, you've got it all wrong. Because this is not a parable of comparison. This is a parable of God is saying, I am exactly the opposite of that crazy judge. I am not a hack like that guy. I've got it all together. I am a loving father, and I'm not like that at all. Totally opposite. Like the fellow who said, what is the opposite of progress? He said, Congress. <laughs> but anyway, now there are three essentials to the spirit of prayer. Now, I should note, for those of you who've been around the church a while, or been around the Word of God, you know there's something called praying in the spirit. Now, different persuasions and different concepts of what that might mean. My opinion is that it means in James chapter 5, when you're praying in the spirit, you're just praying in the spirit or in accordance with the Word of God. So praying in the Spirit means the Holy Spirit is, uh, who wrote the Scriptures, is empowering the Word. It's similar, like we talked about last week, it is praying in faith. But the Spirit of prayer is different than praying in the Spirit. And so today, we are going to talk about what a Spirit of prayer is all about. First of all, the Spirit of prayer, from these verses, the parable, teaches us that the spirit of prayer is persistent. Men ought always to pray. Women, mankind, ought always to pray and not to think. Verse 2. There wasn't a city of judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me of my adversaries. Jesus' parables are always filled with interest. Maybe that's because, as Art Linkler used to say, people are funny, aren't they? People are so funny. As in introducing this uncaring, cold-hearted, nasty judge, the Bible says that this judge was indifferent towards God's law, and he was apathetic towards people. May I say this morning that if a person does not truly fear God, they will not respect him. And that clearly makes a judge unfit for duty. And I believe this parable is very poignant for us here in America today. In a 
that has increasingly moved to restrict prayer. Jesus uses a courtroom, a legal proceeding, to teach us about prayer. Wise believers don't believe the lie that the First Amendment says there is a separation of church and state. The First Amendment says there's zero about a wall of separation. I guarantee you the founders of our great country never intended politics to be separated from God, from Bible morality, ever. Now look at verse 3. We are introduced to a relentless, persistent waiting for husband and past. And so the Bible is very plainly refers to her as a widow, verse 3. And there was a widow in that city. She came to him, that is the judge, avenge me of mine adversary. It says she came with him. The tense of the verb there is present. It means she kept coming. And she kept coming. And she kept coming. Give me legal protection from my person who's taken advantage of me. Now, in that era, there were no city or county or regional courthouses. The judge was a circuit-riding judge. He would go from area to area, stay for three to five days. He would then adjudicate the things that had come before him. If the needs were great, as they often were, the judge's docket would be overflowing. In order for someone to get on the docket, they usually had to have a very big case or a person of some kind of standing. Really, the only sure way to get on the judge's docket was to put a little bit of cash in the hand of his assistants. It's very sad and wrong. It, it may even happen today. But uh, this case really didn't look promising to this lady for at least three reasons. First of all, she was a woman. In a culture, back then, and sadly, even many times today, women were marginalized. We see a culture today in America where left-leaning politicians cannot even define what a woman really is. How crazy is that? Let me tell you, the Word of God, the Bible, and evangelicalism has always elevated womanhood. And we thank God for the wonderful ladies here in our church. Second of all, not only was she a woman, but she had no defenders. And specifically, in that culture, she had no man to stand up for her and with her. And how I thank God for men like those here at our church who lovingly assumed the role of both provider and protector, standing with those precious ladies who need our help. She was a woman. She had nobody to defend her. And third of all, she likely didn't have very many resources at all. Being such, she certainly couldn't afford a high-priced lawyer. A guy asked a lawyer about his fees. He said, well, I charge $500 for three questions. Well, that's awfully steep, isn't it, the guy asked? Yeah, I suppose so. What's your last question? She had nobody to stand for her. She did not have a lawyer and didn't have the money at all anyway. And so on the surface, this poor lady really had no reason to be heard by the judge. 
shouting questions to the resident. But there was something about this lady, even though she didn't have anybody to stand for her. She was serious. She was insistent. She came every day. She came all the time. God wants us to pray and to not give up. One way of displaying our faith and His releasing the power of our lives is to have a resolute attitude. I'm going to keep praying until God answers this story. J.P. had carried a story of a group of post office customers who succeeded in getting the attention of the post office. One man said, I was there in that line that day. He said, I was to see grass where I was supposed to look. Twenty-six patrons were jammed into two lines, and it was not moving at all. Now, they could see sufficient workers back there, but it seemed like nobody was paying attention to the growing line. So one man, a 73-year-old man, organized the group. And so they all began to shout in unison, Please, we want service. We need service. Get more people. Finally, one of the clerks ambled out without cracking his smile next. Now, you guessed it. One more clerk appeared. Pretty soon they had several clerks up there, and the line disappeared in a few moments. He said, I've never seen anything like that. Just when people got together and got insistent about having a need. In some way, that's kind of an idea of what we're talking about here. I, we have a need, and so we go to God. I look at what verse number one says. It says, you ought to do this. Jesus says, you, everybody ought to word ought there is uh, something that is a non-optional thing. It's not a plan B, it's a plan A. It's a constant lifestyle. Now, what is to you non-optional? Every day, what's going to be non-optional for you? Well, whatever else it is, put onto your list prayer. Now, uh, for many people, non-optional is I have to have a shower every day. Thank the Lord for that. That's the case, but or others, i got to brush my teeth. And for some, it's food. Others, it's I check my smartphone. Or conversation with a loved one or a friend. Or, in my case, diet Pepsi and turkey sausage. Those are not optional. That's going to happen every day. How about you? Is communicating with God an optional plan A situation? Or is it a, well, if it happens, it happens. That is the height, really, of evangelical arrogance, that we think that maybe because somehow we're right or going in the right direction, we don't need God every day. Friends, we need God every moment. It is non-optional. The truth is we can't handle anything without the grace and the power and the faith of God. That's why God is saying here, keep praying. Jesus is coming. Don't lose hope. But make that a daily practice. Be consistent in our As I mentioned earlier, this is not a comparison parable. This is a contrast. And so let me give you several contrasts between the judge and God. She was a little. But we are God's elect. She was a stranger. But we are God's very children. She did not have open to the judge, but we are God's very children who 
consistent coming, she reared him. That judge saw some people one day and not the next day. But he could count on that widow was going to be there every single day. All day long, she was not going to do anything but that. The judge's apparent unwillingness just spurred her on even more. It's strange, isn't it? Sometimes it seems like, why isn't God answering? Some quit. Some give up. Some think, well, if he's not answering, then I'm going to just quit. Let me give you very quickly six ways when God lingers his answer and why that actually helps the spirit rest. Six ways a lingering answer helps the spirit rest. One, it makes us sure of what God wants. If God doesn't answer immediately, then we go back and say, God, what's going on? So we search the Word. And the more we search the Word, we get the promises of God down deep in our spirit. We dig into the Word. Is this for God's glory? Number two, it makes us sure of what we want. We begin to reevaluate ourselves and realize, hey, we got the right request. We got the right motives. Is this a self-centered prayer? Or is this ultimately for souls, for God's glory? There's a third reason why a lingering answer actually helps us. Number three, it strains us not to trust in circumstances. Our lives are not random chance or luck. They are God's providence. And as we trust God, we don't just say, well, ah, it's just good luck or bad luck. No, that's not the way life works. The circumstances of God are things that He places there. As one person said, it's not circumstances, it's instances. It's just God putting something in play. And if we all have eyes to see, we'll begin to see, you know, God's putting this all together. And so it takes a little longer than we're thinking. It's just God working things out. Number four, it demonstrates our sincerity. Are we serious or are we just Many people, many Christians act like they're just, you know, life's about partying, about the next fun thing. Folks, we are here to make a difference. And people who pray and keep praying are those who get a passion about the needs of this world. It demonstrates our sincerity. Number five, it demonstrates faith. That's what verse 8 says. Can we keep praying day and night? Can we have faith? Jesus said, when I come again, will I find anybody who has faith? It demonstrates faith. Keep praying when you don't get an answer. I prayed for a day. I prayed for a week. I prayed for a month. I prayed for a year. I prayed for a decade. And if God hasn't told you to stop, then why stop? Keep on praying. It demonstrates faith. God's timing is not my timing. He, if a day is a thousand years, I mean, it's just different for God. This doesn't go on my time frames. Number six, and finally, maybe this is the greatest thing about it, and that is it makes us spend time with God. I mean, the wonderful thing about continual praying is that we spend time with God. It's not really to get the goods, but to spend time and enjoy the one who is good. Prayer is not only to get gifts, but to fellowship with the giver. There is not only to claim the promises, but to embrace the promiser. 
I'm convinced that you and I don't have a failure, that somehow related to our failure of a consistency in prayer. That's why Jesus said in Luke 18, verse number 1, mankind ought always to pray. Really, if Jesus said we ought to always pray, then then we know that's not just a bad idea, it's sin. And in fact, that's exactly what Samuel said. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, this great prophet told the people of Israel, he said, If I stop praying for you, I will be sinning against God. I will be sinning if I stopped praying. Why should I pray? Well, folks, God said that we should pray. To not pray is sin. Paul said it in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Everything by prayer. Embrace everything first with prayer. Thanking God for the opportunity, he said. Let your request be made known. He said, Pastor, you can't pray about everything. Friend, listen. If you can't pray about it, then you better stop doing it. Because that's a pretty good indication that you've got no business doing it if you can't pray about it. Pray about it. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. A spirit of prayer is praying without ceasing. That means day out, day in, day out. You say, well, Pastor, I can't be on my knees praying all the time. I can't, be, I can't close my eyes. Yes, amen. Especially when you're driving, you can't close your eyes and pray. We're not talking about closing your eyes. In fact, closing your eyes is good for, you know, maybe not so you don't distract it. There's nothing especially better about closing your eyes and not closing your eyes. It's just the fact that God said, pray all the time. Be in communion with God in your spirit. Just be in a constant connection with Him. Now, you mothers know what I'm talking about. Imagine with me, you have a little baby, and that baby has got a fever, and very sick, and then, after a few days, the fever goes down, the baby is much better. Finally, you get an opportunity to put the baby down, and then you get some rest. And so you lay your head down, and I mean, cars can be just racing by outside, honking can be in the middle of the day, kids can be playing in the streets, the sirens can go off, and you'll just sleep but that little baby in the next room, all they have to do is just whimper. And you're like, well, hold on a minute. What is that? It is that, it is that ability to just focus even when you're sleeping. It is just a sense that you are you're connected to something that's very important to you. And that is the same way. He said, pray without ceasing. And the lexicon says that that word, pray without ceasing, is the Greek word adelepsi. And it actually has the idea of an uninterrupted cough or a constant cough. The idea is that you get a tickle in your throat and you cough. It's just reflex. God said, do it that way. Every time you get a little tickle from the Holy Spirit, pray, cough, pray without ceasing. It is just a reflex reaction to pray. David in Psalm 55 said, and notice the, the wonderful Praising and order. Evening, morning, and then. The Jewish day began the day before, the evening. We should never, uh, we 
we say our praying first thing, that's actually in the night. That's first time of prayer. That's the beginning of the day. My, I will pray and cry aloud, cry aloud, and the Lord shall hear my voice. That's the same thing that Daniel did. The Bible says three times a day, Daniel felt like it was important enough to stop what he was doing at work and just go pray. And in fact, he got in big trouble. And he said, that's all right. I'm going to pray three times a day. You know, just stopping and praying three times a day would be a great way to pray without ceasing. You say, well, I don't want to pester God, folks. It's pestering God when we want our way. It's pestering God when we want our timetable. It's persistence when we want God's way. And whenever He wants to do it, that's totally good with us. It's faith. The Apostle said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And that's what we have to please if we want answers to prayer, is Him. He's the prayer answerer. If you come to God, you must believe that He is. Well, I know He is. And thank God He's a rewarder for those that diligent. That's the spirit of prayer. The spirit of prayer is diligence. Jesus, I think, reemphasized this whole thing in verse number 7 of Luke chapter 18. Shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry, Day and night. Day and night crying. Though he bear long. God said, don't give me a time limit. Now, sometimes there is a time limit. David sometimes prays, God, here you speedily. And there are times when we do need a fast answer. And we can ask God for that. He oftentimes will give it, but sometimes he won't. And that's up to him. But our prayer ought to be like, it's so natural, it's so incessant, it's so consistent, it's so necessary that we do it constantly. The natural habit of our lives. Jesus is coming. He's going to break through the skies. And when he does, the Bible says, he is going to establish justice in this earth. And thank God, we can keep praying. He said, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. I know it seems easy to lose hope right now with what's going on in our country. But let's keep praying for it. Let's not give up hope for our family. Let's not give up hope for our church. Let's not give up hope for those great needs we have around us. The old hymn says it best. When the storm clouds gather overhead, hiding the light from you, filling your soul with darkness and dread, pray till the light breaks through. Crushed under sorrow, near to despair, troubles your soul pursue, go to the Father. Tell Him your care. Pray till the light breaks through. Pray, then believe God alone looks with compassion through unto His children, cares for His own. Pray till the light breaks through. Just keep on praying till the light breaks through. The Lord will answer. He will God keeps His promise, His word is true. Just keep on praying till the light breaks through. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed here this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church 
and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.